Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We move into the final hour of trading on this Tuesday. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ all advancing. Blue Apron Holdings has lost its human resources chief. It has implemented a temporary hiring freeze of salaried employees. It has also fired part of its recruiting team just as it ramps up a new fulfillment center that's supposed to help the troubled newly public company expand. Since going public in June and raising less money than expected, Blue Apron has lurched from one setback to another. Last month, its co-founder quit as chief operating officer. Blue Apron shares, they're down now by eight-tenths of one percent. John Watson, who has led Chevron since 2010, is planning to step down as the oil major seeks a new CEO. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, citing people familiar with the matter. Chevron shares, they're up by four-tenths of one percent. U.S. stocks are higher with the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ all trading at or near their best level of the day as we move into the final hour of trading here. S&P up 23, higher by one percent. Stephen Stephen Suttmeyer is chief technical research analyst at Merrill Lynch. He was interviewed this morning on Bloomberg Television. I mean, the S&P 500 surprisingly has been above the 200-day moving average on a daily closing basis about 33% of the time going back to 1928. A lot of people find that surprising. What's even more surprising is if you don't close below that moving average on a daily closing basis before the year of the end, it tends to be quite bullish for equities. And quite frankly, you could actually see the S&P rally and, and test 2650 to 2700 into the end of the year Maybe even hit 2800 plus. All right, so he's talking 2800 plus right now. The S&P at 2451, up now by 1%. The Dow up 185, up 9 tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 81, up 1.3%. The tenure down 9.30 seconds, the yield 2.21%. Gold down 6.10, the ounce down 5 tenths of 1%. West Texas Intermediate Crude is up six-tenths of one percent to $47.64 a barrel. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, Charlie, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets right here on Bloomberg Radio. Prince for you on this Tuesday. Little Prince, little David Wilson, a little chart of the day. Uh, party like it's 1999. Uh, are we talking about kind of the tech move? Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, that's the <laughs> reference anyway. There was this report out of Oppenheimer Funds. Uh, Brian Levitt, who's a senior investment strategist over there, kind of raising the question of whether it's 1999 all over again for the stock market, looking at the performance uh, specifically of the FANG stocks. And this is FANG with two A's. So you get Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, also Netflix. Isn't and that FANG then? Well, whatever. <laughs> you can pronounce it however you like. Anyway, go and on. And we should mention Google, whose parent company is Alphabet. That's three A's, which is all another story. In any case, what he did was look at these stocks over the five years that ended in July and compare them with a group of, shall we say, 1990s favorites uh, during the run-up to the height of the Internet bubble. 
that happened in that decade. Uh, so he went back basically 20 years before the period that he looked at with the FANG stocks and checked out Cisco Systems, EMC, Intel, Microsoft, and Oracle. Now, he actually turned these uh, stocks into indexes, in essence, compared them to the S&P 500, and found out that the 90s crewed it a whole lot better. Now, trying to recreate that uh, posed some issues for chart of the day. So I went with a much simpler approach, just looking at their stock performance, each of these companies, over the periods that the folks at Oppenheimer Funds were looking at. And when you do that, you find out the only one of the FANG stocks that managed to beat all of those 1990s darlings is Netflix. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and Google, therefore Alphabet, don't come anywhere close to the kinds of gains that we saw in technology stocks during the 90s. And the thing is, for Levitt, this basically uh, tells him that what we're seeing now isn't in the same ballpark with what we saw then. Now, uh, I will point out some folks have uh, suggested that maybe a time period closer to the height of the Internet bubble would have been a better comparison. Perhaps but I took a look at some numbers and found that really it doesn't make a whole lot of difference in terms of relative performance when you look at one group of stocks versus the other. In any case, if you want to see what I'm talking about, send me an email. I'll get you the chart, the explanation that goes with it, and everything I do going forward. The email address is dwilson at bloomberg.net. That's D. Wilson at Bloomberg.net. I mean, Dave, just a reminder that when we make comparisons to the tech run-up at the end of the 90s, uh, it's not the same. That's it, kind of the bottom it's line. It's not. Here. That's the bottom line, that you're not seeing the same sort of extremes. And as a result, at least the folks at Oppenheimer Funds are, are not so concerned about where we are now. All right. Let's find out what uh, Carl Riccadonna is concerned about. He's our chief U.S. economist with Bloomberg Intelligence, our in-house group of analysts. A little bit of economic news today. What's on your agenda? I mean, I know it's a big week for the Fed. Big week for the Fed with the Jackson Hole Conference uh, convening uh, Thursday evening, but uh, the major speech is uh, happening on uh, Friday. Uh, this is an opportunity for central bankers to uh, clarify uh, policy intentions uh, outside of their uh, usual press conferences. So, uh, you know, we hear from uh, Chair Yellen, we hear from uh, ECB President Draghi, uh, allegedly uh, Japan's uh, central bank it's uh, a Governor Kuroda it's a, is it's coming. A so it's a, it's a monetary policy loser, <laughs> something like that. Um, so that that's going to be the main focus of the Do week. Do they want to... S- Send some clarifying messages to the markets. Do I, they want to do I that? I think they may they want to, to refine the message, but they want to do it in a way that is not sending the market for a swoon. We have seen instances in the past where the markets did uh, react. Uh, Draghi uh, went to Jackson Hole, and that's when he uh, gave his uh, "We'll do whatever it takes" uh, speech, uh, <sighs> which certainly <Right. laughs> certainly moved uh, yes. markets. Uh, so, you know, there's a couple of focal points for Janet Yellen. Obviously, uh, with all these questions over uh, whether she'll take another term or not as Fed chair. Uh, I don't think she clarifies that this Friday, but that's going to be the question mark looming over every uh, public remark she gives from now until February 3rd of uh, next year. Uh, but uh, I think she well, could maybe hint. That's a great headline, but it, it, it could, though, significantly change the course of monetary policy, right? Absolutely. Or, right? Absolutely, if she steps down. Um, the other question would be, and speaking of the, the course of monetary policy, right? we all have this notion that the balance sheet unwind is going to be 
on a glide path once they start it, uh, so she could opine further on what could potentially push the Fed uh, to uh, abandon uh, that glide path and maybe uh, ease up on the uh, amount of uh, rundown that's uh, happening with the balance sheet. Does she, so, does she fish while she's there? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, but there are lots of uh, exciting outdoor activities they'll be uh, partaking in. Um, but just one final point then uh, on that notion of what could knock the Fed off of its glide path. Uh, we do have the debt ceiling coming up in yes. uh, early October. Uh, so it's expected the Fed will announce the balance sheet runoff at the September meeting uh, for start in October. But they don't want to be starting that at the same time we're dealing with potentially a standoff over the debt ceiling. Uh, so, uh, you know, some further clarification in that regard would be helpful. And as it pertains to Draghi, uh, you know, the, the ECB is looking to wind down uh, the amount of stimulus uh, next year. And uh, there's still lots of uncertainty over uh, what that will look like. Dave, Dave Wilson, I've seen that movie before, Debt Ceiling. Oh, debt Ceiling yeah. 1, Debt Ceiling 2, Debt Ceiling 3, yeah, all know, those sequels. And everybody gets all excited when they come out and then they play out or not. And then things kind of go back to what they were. So, you know, you do have to wonder whether it's going to be more of the same or somehow the plot changes this time around, given that you have a different set of actors in Washington. Exactly. Usually the sequel's not as good as the original, but uh, <laughs> this time around, given the contentious uh, environment in Washington, uh, it certainly is reason for concern. And just so you know, when I Google does Janet Yellen fish, I get markets fish for Fed clues and things like that, but I do not get anything about Janet Yellen. No pictures fishing. of her going after trout or whatever? Well, there is a cartoon, but uh yeah, I don't know. Interest rates is yelling fishing for something. I don't know. Fishing for gold. <laughs> That's all I get. Corrigan on our chief U.S. economist at Bloomberg Intelligence, our in-house group of analysts, and our own Bloomberg stocks columnist, Dave Wilson. He'll be back a little bit later on to talk about some of the movers and shakers on Wall Street. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. Once again, check on your latest World of National News headlines. Let's see what uh, Nathan Haker is up to in our Bloomberg 991 newsroom in Washington. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Carol. The U.S. is tightening financial restrictions on North Korea. It's slapping sanctions on 10 businesses and six individuals in China and Russia. They're accused of helping Pyongyang's nuclear and missile programs. Prosecutors are also seeking $11 million from companies in China and Singapore that are accused of moving money through the U.S. to evade sanctions. In addition... The Treasury Department's accusing three Russians and two Singapore-based companies of providing oil to North Korea. President Trump's new Afghanistan strategy, more troops, pressure on Pakistan and diplomatic outreach to the Taliban, relies on tactics followed by his predecessors, but without the timetables. Bloomberg's Irv Chapman has more from Washington. Focus would be on training Afghan forces, the president said, adding, we are not nation-building again, we're killing terrorists. Eric Fanning, who was until recently Secretary of the Army, commented in a Bloomberg interview. I prefer to fight terrorists on the other side of the world than inside our borders to make sure that that doesn't grow as a terrorist safe haven. If you're going to say that you're just going to focus on killing terrorists and not try and do anything to stabilize the political situation on the ground, then you're going to be there killing terrorists for a very long time. The Afghan government is characterized by factional splits based on ethnic groups and armed militias. In Washington, I'm Irv Chapman, Bloomberg Radio. Congressional Republicans may be looking to a controversial maneuver to make $450 billion in tax cuts happen without offsets. Four aides familiar with the discussion say it would move things like expiring tax breaks from the current law baseline to a current policy baseline. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. This is Bloomberg.